everyone. This is Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, and we're here for another DevOps chat. Uh, we've got a nice, nice chat lined up today. Lucky enough to be joined by Jim Scott of MapR. Jim, welcome to DevOps Chat. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us today, Jim. So, Jim, um, well, let's start with this. Our, our audience may or may not be familiar with MapR, but let's assume for the moment they're not. Why? Can you give us a little bit of background about MapR? Sure. So MapR is a converged data platform, mm -hmm. the operable words being data platform. So MapR provides a data platform for all data, all types of data, all locations, cloud on-premise, and it can run in all of those locations simultaneously. The, the premise of the platform is to deliver a standard open API architecture on top of our data platform so that customers can reap the benefits of our platform but not have to worry about being locked in to the vendor MapR for the software that we provide through those open APIs or even the infrastructure that you choose to run on. So if you wanna run on your uh, hardware in your own data center or if you wanna run your software in the cloud or multiple clouds, you can run your software on top of MapR on any of that infrastructure, anywhere you choose, anytime. Great. So Jim, and, and just you know, for our audience information, what's your role with MapR? Oh, so for MapR, I'm in charge of enterprise architecture, both internally and externally. Excellent. So what that means is internally, uh, I'm basically lining up and showing how we're using MapR to solve our own problems. Mm -hmm. And then externally, it basically means I work with our customers a pretty substantial amount, helping them work through how to be successful with a big data platform. So what is the right way to do something? Uh, I've personally worked in a uh, large number of different industries. And so my experience comes to the table quite often. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got a little uh, vibration there, but I think it went away. And and Jim, as, as we were talking off mic before we started today, I was telling you, I, I had covered MapR back in Network World when you guys launched. And I'm going to guess that was around 2008 or so, correct? 2009, maybe? Uh, yeah, the company went in or was founded and in, in stealth mode in 2009. Yep, I, I I remember it. So certainly, it's been a lot of water under the bridge in terms of you know in 2009, cloud itself was quite the rage. Uh, it was relatively new still, and people were still figuring that out. The whole big data, uh, you know, the big data market. There wasn't a market for big data, frankly. You know, Hadoop and these things had just come out, but Jim. You know, probably one of the biggest uh, innovations or changes in infrastructure over the last two or three years, maybe four, has been the big move to containerization and microservices, right? We, I, I would imagine you're seeing this at MapR as well. Yeah, absolutely. So if we look historically, just say maybe eight, 10 years back, message-driven architecture started becoming popular. Uh, service-oriented architecture, things of that nature. And that popularity was great, eh, maybe even 15 years back. But the problem was scaling out the messaging platform itself was difficult, it was expensive, and it was really just a pain 
from an administration perspective to be able to scale out. And so we've seen this transition over the last handful of years, moving more towards a microservices model. And mm -hmm. the term, a lot of people like to throw it around loosely and call something a microservice when in fact it's not, but the less monolithic in nature, the more difficult to handle the large scale, which is why uh, the Kafka API and what MapR provides with MapR streams helps enable the customers because they have the ability to push through massive volumes at a linearly scaling cost model so they know exactly where they're going. So it's pretty easy to push through something like one and a half trillion events per day uh, on a platform like MapR with as little as five servers. And the more micro in nature, the higher the volume you're going to need to be able to handle. And so those messaging systems of the past just not there, just couldn't handle it. I mean, I remember being excited when we were getting 50 to 60,000 messages per second through the system. For good reason, Jim. You're talking to someone who was excited when the 386 came out. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, I hear you. Um, so, but, but Jim, I mean, fundamentally what my, and I had just had this discussion because we, we actually have a little microservices journal, microservices neighborhood within DevOps.com. And I, I was talking to JP Morgenthal, who's a, a CTO at DXE, actually, uh, about this just yesterday. And, you know, fundamentally, fundamentally, and we're talking about real microservices now, not, not nonsense, right? But fundamentally, it, it, it has such promise to change the way we do development and to change the way our app, you know, to change the way our infrastructure runs, right? Especially when you marry it to containers. Yep. Yeah. And I think in what you're alluding to, and this is one of the things that I have the biggest problem with when talking with people about microservices, is the fundamentals are that a microservice is really more about the deployment model than anything else. And without a container to be able to put it in and deploy it, it becomes a very difficult and unwieldy thing, even though it's so small. Got it. And so, Jim, you, you mentioned before you were working on both the internal and external aspects of this. Internally, if you can, let's not give away any company secrets, but internally is MapR contain you know utilizing a container-based infrastructure with microservices uh, absolutely yeah uh, matter of fact we talk about it pretty regularly um so for for our own website we have implemented customer 360 capabilities uh mm -hmm. we run our software inside of containers and we run it uh currently on one cloud but we have on-premise hardware and we will be in the not too distant future running multi-cloud and on-premise all simultaneously. And in order to do that, you need a technology like a container to get that type of isolation from yeah. your infrastructure. Yep. An abstract, if you will, uh, an abstraction. Um, and, and, you know, I had an interesting conversation, Jim, with, uh, I think it was a Docker con recently or another site Another large organization who had totally, you know, moved to a containerized infrastructure. And, and the, you know, he was talking about what a profound change it was. And, and I asked him about patching containers 
versus immutable infrastructure, just, you know, standing up new ones, replacing the old rather than actually patching the existing ones. Where, where are you on that question? If you don't, well, I mean, I love the concept of being able to go back to my base default image mm-hmm. and be able to run it through my entire DevOps process, continuous integration process. So I can go patch one instance in my Docker file. I can test the core out, make sure it's doing what it's supposed to. And then I can let all of my downstream builds run, pick up the new container and run them through their integration tests. Excellent. And so, Jim, I I don't know if everyone in our audience understands this whole idea of eating your own dog food and what it means. But can you maybe give us an example or two of how things you've learned by using them internally at MAPR have translated into better service, better product, you know, better results for for end users, right? So how you've taken it out, how you've taken certain processes or, or ways of, of technology, you know, that you use yourself and translated that into a customer experience. Yeah, so there's a couple that pop to mind. And number one is actually containers. Mm-hmm. Um, we only introduced support for containers uh, around the beginning of this year. Really? Uh, but we've been using, con- yeah, it was, I think uh, our press release that we did on it when we officially released support was around February timeframe this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but technically speaking, we have a number of customers who've been using containers with MapR uh, for two, three years. And um, little secret here, uh, we use it internally and have been for two, three years as well. And so making sure that we had it fully vetted and very well baked from a support infrastructure perspective uh, was really critical. But getting that out there for customers, really important because it solves such a major problem with containers, which is you look at something so simple as security, right? If I am responsible for the web server for my company and you are responsible for the financial systems of your company or of my or our company, Mm-hmm. That software in a container has the ability to run on the same server. But if they run on the same server and we are l- utilizing local storage on that server, right? Because you can't save data inside a container, it blows up. It's gone when the container dies. So if you save data locally on that server, what happens? Well, suddenly I run these security risks of my web server having access to financial information. Probably not a good idea. No. <laughs> and, and so we implemented within our MapR persistent application client container the ability to talk to MapR from within the Docker container. And because MapR offers NFS support, it, it's almost invisible and there's hardly anything to do. And you give it a ticket from your authentication environment and you're good to go. Whatever's running inside that container has a user ID. And when it talks to MapR, the data is saved and protected. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, if I'm gonna save data, I'll save it to the local server. You get rid of that whole problem. It isolates where the data goes, already being protected and highly available. If your server physically dies, just like if your container dies, you don't care. You don't have to restore the server to try and get the data off of it. Got it, got it. And that's that's 100%, I mean, and that's the beauty of that whole abstraction layer, if you will. Um, exactly. 
Jim, here's an interesting question, I, and I don't know if you have this info, but I, I figured I'd ask anyway. We've been doing a bunch of surveys about container adoption, and, you know, it's funny. We've done several of these surveys now over, let's say, the last two years, and when we first started, you know, a lot of people had plans of looking at Docker and containers. Other people, a decent amount of people had uh, containers in there, you know, they were in the test and dev environment kind of thing, not not uh, production. Few had them in production. Then recently, like our most recent surveys, let's say over the summer, uh, that number shot up, you know, probably 40, 50 percent of respondents had containers in production. And that may be because we're, you know, it's DevOps.com, we're in a DevOps bubble, and, and so you get people using this kind of you know, new stuff. But I'm curious, out of the map, our customer base, a, a gut check if you don't have the real number, what do you think the percentage are that are using containers in production these days? <sighs> it's a pretty big number. I mean, I don't have a hard and fast number, but if I just go by the customers that I talk with, um, I feel like it's got to be over 50%. Really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got one extremely advanced customer uh, in Australia. Their name is Quantium, and uh, they, they talk about how they use MapR all the time. And they've basically reinvented their entire operating model, and they've done it on top of MapR. Um, there's an enterprise architecture I documented that they talk about periodically. It's called the Zeta architecture, and uh, they basically they use an orchestration layer, they use MapR for persistence, and then they use containers to launch and deploy anything anywhere arbitrarily across their cluster of hardware for their customers. And they turned their entire internal platform to an as-a-service model for internal and external customer consumption. Got it, excellent, excellent. I mean, we're, you know, we're hearing stories like this all over now. And, you know, and the interesting thing is it's almost wherever you see wherever you see containers, you're seeing microservices. But you're also seeing microservices in places where you don't necessarily also see containers. And you know, it, it reminds me of when I was in school, we used to learn all pasta is macaroni, but not all macaroni is pasta, or something to that effect. <laughs> but uh, you know, but you know, microservices has a place outside of containers, though they seem to just go really well together. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you start looking at the different types of use cases that you would fit into a microservice, um, right, th this is where you start seeing how people are going to choose to deploy and manage. If you're looking at event-driven, message-driven, where it's taking a message in, it's doing some work, and it's dropping a message back out versus uh, it's a RESTful service endpoint where it's a synchronous response, Um yeah, people are choosing to do things in different ways, but nearly, I mean, everyone that I talk to, uh, they're using containers in some fashion. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it, and it's true. I it, It's true in my case, too. But like I said, I always figure, well, I'm in a bubble, so of course I'm going to see that. Um, Jim, what, what's next? What's next for MapR? Well, it's a, it's an intriguing question. Well, you know, recently we announced our 6.0 launch, 
and we have greatly enhanced uh, a number of features around our database capabilities. And, you know, I seem to have this conversation a lot with people is, you know, they start looking at big data technologies and they say, well, this is great and all, but, you know, I've built the software to work with my MySQL or Postgres or Oracle or whatever RDBMS. I say, that's fine. You can containerize those applications if you want to start changing your infrastructure and how you orchestrate your software. And if it's important enough to you, you could migrate it over onto a NoSQL database like MapRDB document database, or you can just leave it running in a container so you have a more flexible infrastructure. And the database technology enhancements that we've been making are really critical to kind of driving the future of getting people off of those super expensive to scale RDBMSs that are being used for non-relational purposes. Excellent. And um, just timeframes, when, when might we see some more on this stuff? Well, it's uh, it's been announced in the last few weeks. And so we'll start our 6.0 um, general availability uh, very soon. I forget the exact date. And then uh, we'll just continue plugging along, adding more new fantastic features to help enable the customer base. Um, you know, cloud integration with our platform is another really big one, uh, making sure that we can help enable customers to benefit from the concept of cloud neutrality, right? Cloud providers are never just going to get together as a consortium and say, hey, why don't we standardize our APIs to the benefit of our customers, right? It just doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. Google, Microsoft, and Amazon are never just going to call each other up and say, hey, what do you think about this? I agreed. Agreed. Well, not, you know what? Well, I was going to say, I've seen a lot of changes over the years, but I, that's probably a pretty safe bet, Jim. Um, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Anyway, um, Jim, believe it or not, as I told you when we started, the time goes really quick. And we're, we're about out of time for this version of DevOps Chat. But we'd love to maybe have you back on in the future. We'd love to keep up with what's happening with MapR, especially as it relates to microservices and containers and, and some of the new stuff we have going on. Um, yeah, sounds great. Great. But in the meantime, if people want to get more information about MapR, where can they go? Well, I would recommend they go to MapR.com. Okay. Or, of course, you can always follow MapR on Twitter and or um, any of the other social networks that you uh, uh, join and work with. But the website is always my favorite because there's a lot of great material there, including the uh, MapR blog. And all of the ebooks, including the microservices and containers ebook that I wrote, is out there for free. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All righty. Um, well, we'll have to maybe get some links to those. We'll put in the show notes of this as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Fantastic. Hey, Jim, thanks for being our guest on this uh, episode of DevOps Chat. Look forward to having you back soon and finding out more about MapR. Continued success and, and keep us posted about what you guys are doing. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps Chat on DevOps.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon on another chat. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.